Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Well, I tell you, we have a very special guest speaker this morning. More special to me than you, probably. But I'd like to welcome my wife, Janet, who also is an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God. She's going to come and share this morning. Uh, well, actually, he's my favorite pastor. Um, I am just honored that he has allowed me to stand behind this pulpit and preach the gospel this morning. Um, this being Children's Ministries Day, I think what a most beautiful focus that we can focus upon today. Watching them do worship this morning is just so uplifting. And you might think, well, they're just programmed to do that. I'm telling you, that's getting put into their heart. My daughter, who they are the beautiful missionaries that was focused up on up there, um, but she still remembers plays that they did as children in, in um, children's ministries. What's getting into your children's life at home and here is going to make eternal differences. So make sure that they line up with each other. I'm just so excited. Um, I want to share with you a little bit more about um, how we do CT Church to invest in children's lives here. Um, and it's just going to take a moment of your time. You saw our children's ministries back there, and that's where it culminates before it goes into youth ministries. Used to be youth ministries was such a big focus of the church because we had to get the youth, we had to get the youth. Well, if we don't get these children at this age, if we don't get them at this age by youth, no bueno. I'm telling you, it's important to get them at youth. Every age is important. Even the senior adult that thinks they're all done, they're not done. God's still, uh, if you were done, you'd be six foot under, okay? So, but we are investing in children's ministries here, and I am so grateful that God has called Pastor Lisi here and her, her passion for the children's ministries. But children's ministries begin long before they even get into Pastor Lisi's care. Uh, children's ministry begins at birth. As I said last week, I believe our nursery ministry is second to none. First of all, when our whole nursery program is held over on this wing of the church, and we first of all have a very secure check-in system. We get information such as if they've been ill within the, your child has been ill within the last 48 hours, if they're allergic to anything, any pertinent information that would affect your child, that's the very first place, the very first stop. This is a place to welcome your children so that they will be protected as they enter into our nurseries. This nursery or this um, position is held by Robin Owens. Is Robin in here or is she over there working? She must be over there working. Is her, her better half was in here, I think. Well, maybe he's not here either. Maybe he's praying somewhere because he's going to be in a prayer. All right. Well, anyway, you can go meet her afterwards if you want. And um, she is there to actually help you in any way to ensure you to get fully trained if you would be interested in serving in the check-in ministry. Um, then from there, the infants are welcomed, first of all, as an infant into our rockin' baby nursery. And we call it the rockin' baby nursery because that's all we do in that nursery. We rock them. We hold them. We nurture them. We, want, we have music playing in that um, at all times. If, you're, if you work in the Rockin' Baby Nursery, would you please stand? 
We know some over here. Uh, they're over here. There's some that's back there working right now. All right. And we've had several more people from our um, ministry uh, thing that took place last week that are, are coming into the Rock and Baby Nursery. Um, but during it, in that nursery, they play uh, music videos while they're being held throughout the entirety of that service. We want your baby to feel loved and cared for away from the arms of mom and dad. Now, that nursery is led by Zenobia West. Zenobia, if you'll stand. So nobody has any excuses to know who's not in charge of that nursery. Zenobia has been involved with me in nursery for many, many years, and I just so appreciate her. And she has taken on this ministry just recently to say, I'm going to care over this nursery to make sure it's fully staffed and they're fully equipped and understand everything that takes place in that nursery. Well, once a baby grows beyond being, wanting to be held, and we all know that age, right? Anywhere from six to nine months, they're wanting to get out of your lap, and they're wanting to get down and play. So at that point we move them to the next nursery, and that's called the God Made Me Nursery. This nursery is led by Patty Hugert. Is Patty in here? She told me she was going to be in first service. Patty? Oh, there you are, over here. Patty is a godsend to me. I mean, in so many ways. I tell you, she oversees this nursery. The babies, like I said, are in this nursery anywhere from six months to nine months at the beginning, and they're in there till the age of two. In this nursery, we have a system that is set up to introduce them to more routine. On every Sunday, the, everything that happens in the, this nursery happens every Sunday, every service. A child at this age needs routine. They, don't, they love to know they know the answer. Um, during this, they come in for about the first 20 minutes, they're playing and music is playing and they're learning how to play with peers their own age um, and just... We keep toys in there that they enjoy playing with. We make sure if they're broken, the toys, they get out of there. We get new toys in there. But they play for about 20 minutes. After that 20 minutes, we set them in a little seat. It's called a, um, a stroller, but it's secured. It's not on wheels. We've taken the wheels off, and we buckle them in because all the different ages... They're not going to stay in there if some of them won't want to stay in there. Some of them, we have walkers. We put them in the little walker, but they're all stationary. And at that point, we turn on a video, and the video is about the seven days of creation. And it is the cutest video. Even when it's talking about the animals that's being made, it's little cotton balls with little sticks coming out of it, and that's the lamb, and you hear them, the, the lamb's bot. But it's so simple for these children when my grandson was in this nursery, I was amazed to know that he understood every day of creation. He could tell you a light bulb comes on for the first day because that's what in this uh, little video. And as they're learning about this, it culminates to the understanding that God made me. And that's why the, it's called God Made Me Nursery. It would just amaze you how much they grasp a hold of this. Once that is finished, of course, they take care of necessary changes, such as changing the diapers. And then they let them play again um, for the remainder till mom and dad comes to pick them up. But your children are learning something in the God Made Me Nursery. When they turn two... That child moves to the next nursery called Little Blessings. At this time, I am overseeing that nursery. And your children are Little Blessings. And we have watched them grow from infancy up to this point. Some of them come in at the nursery at this stage. But in here, they're in this nursery from the ages of two to three. Routine becomes more evident They're less in their lessons, in their snacks, and in their playtime. During this time, 
um, with the, uh, the two- to three-year-old nursery, um, they study a Bible character every month. Next month, in the month of October, they're going to be studying about Daniel in the lion's den. And they will hear from the different teachers the perspective of how they bring to light certain things about Daniel and the lion's den. But by the time they end that month, they will know about Daniel and the lion's den from the crafts that they do, from the games that they play, from everything that they do in there. Um, they're going to be learning about Bible characters. And we only have them for the, the 12 months. And so each month they have a different Bible character. I would like for everyone that works in the both of those nurseries, the God Made Me and the Little Blessings, if you're in here, please stand. Don't be bashful. Come on. All right. When your baby turns three, we promote them to preschool. And last week, if you were in here, you saw some of those being promoted into preschool. And as always, in, in, in all of our nurseries, we realize we're dealing with babies. So if one of those babies decides that they're not happy, or they're just having a difficult time, we all have those days, right? We go with the flow. We don't make them sit down. We don't force them in any way. We encourage them. We, take, we treat them like a little baby, okay? So we love on them. So parents, if you have anxiety over leaving your child in the nursery, please meet with me. Know that we have closed circuit uh, video right there that you're welcome to go scope it out and you can see into each nursery. We encourage parents not to go into the nurseries as a rule because a child will think that you're supposed to go in there every time unless you're willing to work in there every Sunday. We encourage you to view closed circuit. So um, all of our volunteers each have had a thorough background check and it's kept up to date thanks to Crystal Opria over this. But to ensure all of our parents, this is all to ensure that our parents are in here and receive what God has for you today and what he has for you on each given Sunday. Um, from our nursery ministries, they, um, your child moves into preschool, which is led by Tori Roberts. She's at home with one of our grand sick grandchildren. And... Um, but she lays out amazing lessons that your children are taught. But, but, but by the time your children come out of the nursery and go into preschool, by the time they get in there, they're used to having more routine and sitting and learning about Jesus. And parents, I don't know if you realize this, and I don't know if you'll wait till you're my age to realize it, but your children are a gift from God. But they can also be used as a tool from the enemy. And what I mean by that, when you come in here to receive from God, Satan will do everything in his power to distract you, even if it's something cute, just looking down, just paying attention. He wants you to get your mind off of it. That's why we invest so much in children's ministry, because we want them learning, we want them growing in Christ, and we have placed a, a great leader in that. We have, uh, we have great helpers and volunteers in that ministry. So we encourage you to avail yourself um, and if you're working in a, or if you're volunteering in a service, so you think, well, I want to attend a service and I'm volunteering in a service. My child is going to sit through both service or both lessons back there. Well, first of all, it wouldn't be too much. We know, right? Because they're in school all day long or they're being taught things that are, um, questionable in their lives anyway, that wouldn't hurt them, but we don't, we don't want them to become bored. So what we have, um, created back there is a thing called the tank. 
so the first service that they're there, they're learning all about Jesus. The second service that they're in there, they go into the gymnasium, and that is led by Stephanie Soul. You can wave, stand up, whatever. That's Stephanie. And she's got a lot of energy and a lot of helpers back there. But this program is intended for you to allow your children to go be able to play with other children, learn how to interact on a playing level, learn that um, church can also be fun in learning how to play with each other. So, um, and they also learn what they're not supposed to do. I've got a grandson back there that's having to be corrected quite often. So I'm there the first to tell you it's good to have them in there so they can learn this is the proper way of playing. And so it's not all on you as a parent. We're... we're um, reaffirming what hopefully you're teaching in the, in the home. So um, at the close of this service, we're going to have representatives from our nursery and children's ministries in the foyer. Pastor Doug and I would love for you to go back and ask, how can I help make a difference in the children's lives here at CT Church? Because we'll get you plugged in. So I said all that to tell you, that's how we invest in the children's ministry here at CT Church. Um, I want to read an article to you that I came across this past week. And in a, just a moment, we're going to pray over our teachers and our children. <clears throat> but this article that I read was written by a mother. And I want to tell you, I do appreciate um, uh, our teachers that are teaching the children, our teachers, and our children both face unprecedented, unprecedented issues today. I can understand choices to homeschool a child. I fully understand that. I can understand to invest in a Christian education. And I can understand the parent that says, I'm going to choose to send them to a public school. You just need to hear from God to say, what is the best for my child? But they're, they're trying to so indoctrinate our children that you need to have them prepared. If you're sending them into the public school, if you're sending them into that mission field, you better be teaching them in the home because they're sent, being sent into some of the worst hells that you've ever imagined. We never experienced some of this stuff. And it's not going to get easier. I'm not trying to scare people. I'm telling you that the power of God is greater than anything that the enemy has to give to us, but you better prepare your children. And this is an article that was written by a mother um, over in, I believe it was Nevada. It's called Transgender Theology Continues to be Pushed in the School. We may no longer have a president or Congress pushing transgenderism in our schools, but that doesn't mean the issue has disappeared. That's because the far left understands that to indoctrinate children in their agenda... The only need is to get into the schools. And while it may be easier to do it through the federal intervention, it's harder to stop when it's happening district by district, school by school. In 2017, the Nevada legislature passed a law that would let schools set guidelines on dealing with transgender students, students with disabilities, and so on. However, the Nevada Department of Education took a new law and ran with it, creating a regulation that goes far beyond the what the legislature imagined. The proposed regulation created, creates a nightmare for schools by opening bathrooms, locker rooms, and even overnight field trips with the opposite sex if they claim to be transgender. It includes the most radical ideas about gender in the school's curriculum and even attempts to enforce the use of pronouns like Z and Zer. The Department of Education scheduled a hearing on regulation this week. 
but had to pull the issue from consideration after a public outcry from the parents. Nonetheless, many parents still showed up to voice their displeasure over the proposal. The problem is that we don't know whether they plan to change the proposed regulation in response to the outcry, or whether they'll just wait until the fervor dies down and try to hold a hearing when it won't get so much attention. That's why we need to be vigilant. This should concern us that there is a determined effort to indoctrinate children in transgender theology, ideology. There was a time when we could trust teachers and administrators to reflect the Christian values of our community. Now they're concerned with pursuing political agenda. How can we let schools sexualize our students in this way? And make no mistake, teaching them about gender confusion, asking them to identify their sexuality, pushing discussions of sexual behavior on them as early as elementary school is destroying the innocence of our children. We are teaching them about sexual perversion before they're even old enough to learn about sex. This cannot be helping our children develop a healthy view of love in marriage. We may, further, we may be further along in technology and science, but we are losing touch with the morality and decency. And it is up to us to put our country on the right path. The enemy of faith and family haven't stopped their campaign to push the transgender ideology in our schools. We must be prepared to fight for our children's innocence. And like I said, that's not to scare us. That's to wake us up, church. We need to wake up. And like Pastor Doug says, we need to be the force storming the gates of hell. I would like to have every teacher, if you teach in a school, if you teach at home, if you teach in a Christian school, public school, if you teach here at Children's Church um, in any class here, I would like for you to come up here and just face the congregation. Please come here quickly because we are short on time. If we go over time, pray for me, okay? Anyway, stand up here and face the congregation, if you would, please. These are people who are saying, I want to invest in children's life. It gives me goosebumps to see this many. I didn't know we'd have this many first service. Thank you all for all that you're doing in the children's lives. Now, I would like to have all the children... In just a moment, I want all the children to come up and face the teachers. I want you to be in front of a teacher, each one of you. Come on up, children, and stand in front of a teacher. It doesn't have to be your teacher. Just stand in front of a teacher. And if there's more, it might have to be two to a, a teacher, okay? But make sure a teacher is, you're standing in front of a teacher. All right, everybody. I've asked Pastor Lisi if she would come. And if she would pray over the teachers. Now, this is going to represent, we're praying for the teachers across San Antonio, no matter where they're at. This represents praying for these teachers. And I want these students, you students, you face your teachers. Face your teachers. And I want you to be praying for these teachers as Pastor Lisi leads out in prayer over these teachers, okay? I want to open with this scripture. Um, that God put in my heart just last night. I was like trying to figure out what to say or how to pray and trying to find a scripture. But God put this in my heart. It says, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so, those, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed, you may, sorry, so that those who oppose you 
may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Titus 2.7. Father God, I just come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We praise you, God. We give you all the glory, Lord God. And I put, Father God, I lift up every single teacher, Father God, from here, from the church and the schools, Father God. I ask, Lord God, that you anoint them, Father God, that the blood of Jesus will be poured on them, Father God, to protect them, to, Father God, to use them however you want, Father God. I ask, Father God, that they'll that you give them wisdom, you give them authority, you give them, Father God, discernment, Father God, to just teach these children, Lord God, to stand on the word, Father God, to just give you all the glory, Father God, and be able, Father God, to pursue, Father God, their calling, Father God, because teaching is not just a job, Father God. Teaching is a calling from you, Lord God, and we ask, Father God, that you just give them the energy, Father God, and the power, Father God, to just Pour on these children, Father God, that even when they're in school, Father God, they're, they're in regular school, Father God, that the children be able to stand on their ground because we want to do a profound, Father God, and, and deep, Father God, just word from you. We just want to give them that profound lesson, Father God. We ask, Father God, that you just protect each one of them, Lord God, and you just give them the power and the wisdom, Father God, give them the authority, Father God that you have given them, Lord God. I thank you, Father God, for each one of them. And I, I thank you, Father God, that they're here not only to just teach the kids, Father God, but to be disciples and make disciples, Father God. In your name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, students, stay right there, and I'm going to pray over the students. And remember, this is going to represent the students that they're going to be throughout the schools, okay? in each school. Heavenly Father, I just lift up these students. God, that they be shining examples and the students that are in the schools around this community and those that are in home, that they would be a light shining in darkness. They will stand for what is right. They will pray for their teachers. They will encourage them. They will listen to their teachers. They will obey their teachers. They will honor them, Lord God. And I just pray a special blessing upon their lives this very day in your precious holy name. Amen. You all may be seated. Thank you. Remember to keep these children and teachers in your prayer throughout the week, throughout this month, and throughout the entire school year. Um, I'm going to get through the sermon. It's going to be quickly done, but um, we have a lot to complete this morning. We also have some water baptism, but I invite um, you to continue to pray over the, the children. Uh, children are loved by God. He refers many times to children in his words because he deeply cares for them. He warns them in Scripture in Matthew. He warns all of us in Scripture in Matthew 18, 6, and again in Luke 17, 2. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned into the depths of the sea. That should make us shudder if we are teaching children anything other than the word of God. He instructs children throughout his word how to treat others, how to love parents, and that all comes with a promise. In Matthew 18, 3, he says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like one of these little children, you will not enter into heaven. I loved watching these children do worship this morning. It made me encouraged. I tried to jump, you know, and I, I did a little bit, but like Pastor Doug said, you need like an oxygen tank. No wonder Pastor Lisi goes to the gym and works out every morning. But this morning, I'd like to take a few moments to talk to you about regrets. Every one of us will have regrets. To what extent, that will vary. 
But my deep concern is over the regrets that will have eternal consequences. We live in a day like no other. Pressures of life have never been greater. Weariness is, a daily, is daily pounding at our doors. And I think I can speak for everyone when they, when they say they're just really tired. We got to still press on. Regardless of all that, we have one thing that we must keep in focus, and that is we still have a job to complete. There is still work to be done. But before we can do an effective job, we must be sure that we're building on a sure foundation. And that sure foundation is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't regret not having made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And don't have regrets that that decision that has been made, even if you've asked Jesus Christ into your life, that it was made with wrong motives. Making a decision must be pure. It may be done, it must be done for what he has done to, in our lives. It, mu- it cannot be done for what we can get out of it. Because if that's what it's all about, if it's because we're just trying to escape hell's flames, it is called a life insurance. And it's based on what, what am I going to get in a return for it? So your sure foundation has to be footed in Jesus Christ because of who Jesus is because of what Jesus has done. And when you make this commitment to follow Jesus Christ, you don't stop there. You don't fall short in saying, well, now I've done all I need to do and I'm done. I'm I'm into heaven and that's all that matters. We cannot stop short of all that God had intended for us to do. We cannot stay stuck in our daily situations. We must make a difference because in a child's vernacular, ready or not, God is about to come. He is preparing his church for his return. And we got to be busier than ever before. And Satan's trying to tell you just the opposite. Have you not realized that? Slow up. You've done enough. I'm tired. I've got this to do. I've got that to do. I'm telling you, we've got a job to do. It's time to press on. We've got work to complete. As I was preparing for the service, I began to think of the condition of the American church and the lives of those who attend I began to view the actions of many people in the church today, and I kind of visualized it kind of like a pendulum, showing how a pendulum just kind of goes, shoo, shoo, shoo. you know, that's kind of how it just op- how it goes. And what I mean by this, I believe people tend to make decisions based on their feelings, and it'll get them all the way up here. And they're, they're making these decisions based on their feelings and outside influences, without counting the cost. Before they got up here, they didn't count that cost. And when that happens, life many times gets overwhelming. And so they try to make adjustments. And the thing of it is, they usually swing completely to the other side in their adjustments. When it gets hard on one side, when it gets boring, when it gets difficult, they'll tend to swing completely to the other side. They throw it all. They make decisions. based on material things in their life. They make decisions like, okay, I'm doing too much ministry. I got to quit completely. Oh, now I'm, I'm not doing anything. Okay, I'll do some more stuff. And then they start feeling the pressure of everything. And every, they, somebody sees they're not doing anything over here. So then they get bombarded with about five uh, ministry leaders and they decide to jump on board for everything. And then whoosh, they're all the way over here again. Then they wear themselves out. It's just a constant pendulum of doing that instead of saying, okay, God, this is where you've got me. I want it to be a timely manner. I want it 
to um, go forward in my walk with Christ without making rash and huge decisions. I believe this is one of the slyest attacks from the enemy, and many times we don't even see it coming. This concept or chain of events, they didn't happen just overnight. I believe that this has been going on for many years, and I believe it, it, one of the pivotal turns in these type of decisions where we make rash decisions and big life-changing uh, decisions began in America in the early 50s. Up to this time, life had been well-defined, what a home, what duties, what faith looked like. And it was in the 1950s, and between the 1950s and 1960s, was a period of confusion for working women. Women debated whether to stay home and take care of a household work, children, or join the workforce. But it was during the 1970s when most women felt comfortable entering the workforce. Now, I believe since that time, the definition of what a household looks like and how things operated began to shift in a change that would redefine the American household. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to, for women to work outside the home. I have worked outside our home since Brent was at the, about the age of two. And I'm also not saying it's a good thing for women to work outside the home. We went through hard times of adjustment. It would hit us in waves at times. We'd have good times because with a two-parent income, we got to do things that we wouldn't no normally have been able to do with a one-income home. But nevertheless, there was a price to pay for the, the decisions that we were making. And if you're a single parent, your resources remain the same. They might not be as big, but um, remember, God is your source of where you should pull. And the principles still remain the same in a single-parent home. Wisdom would tell us that any household, to determine the decisions that you're going to make, you first of all, for your family and for you and for the sake of the ministry, you need to count the cost and the worth that it is. All too often, we become nearsighted and fail to include everything before we make life-changing decisions. Um, we leave out things that really do matter. And what I mean by this is that we make decisions based on regret many times. Regretting that the decisions that we've already made and are already a part of our lives to this point. We think um, all that matters in life is just finding the perfect spouse. Oh, if I could just find the right person to marry, then my life would be easier, then I could go forward, and then I would be really happy. We think life is just not complete until we're married. And I love being married, and I'm so glad I'm married. But that's not the end of all. You got to be where you are. But a lot of times people make decisions and all of a sudden they find themselves with a spouse. Now they realize that their happiness was not based on the spouse. In fact, many times the spouse makes you more angry than before you didn't have a spouse. So, but now you find yourself with a spouse and maybe a year or two, maybe a lot sooner, we find ourselves with children. Now we have a spouse and children and to take care of all that, we find ourselves with a mortgage. We find ourselves, you can just fill in the blank because we keep looking for this elusive happiness and what will fulfill our lives. It's then, and many times it's then, we want to make decisions without giving previous consideration to the, the decisions that we've made up to this point. So at this point, the pendulum has swung completely in one direction and we begin to feel trapped. And those feeling trapped and regretful begin to try with all their might to dig themselves out with one goal in mind, 
And that is to get back where they were before they had all these responsibilities. They call it going back. Well, I can tell you something, this is not a good idea. Because going back will never be like it was. And because of time, I'm not going to go into the story of the first service, but I will in the second service. We thought going back to Illinois was going to be like going back home. Going back is never the same. It's never the same. Another thing that I have witnessed people to do when feeling regret is to just jump ship. What I mean by that is they make rash decisions without doing any digging. They leave house and home. They leave family and job. They leave church and ministry. They simply jump ship. What the enemy fails to show them is that by making this choice is that they're piling more and more regret upon themselves until one day they'll feel more suffocated and more lost than ever before. And if, if anyone here under the sound of my voice has made those choices that define you today, I want to tell you there is hope. And the only hope is in the restoration of Jesus Christ. He is your only hope. He is your only choice to make. And I believe that is the choice that the Spirit of God would have you make today and that you own up. And this is the decision I really, really do feel like God was speaking through me. Own up to where you are. Own up. Have you made too many wrong decisions? Have you made decisions that make you feel trapped? Well, we need to evaluate the situation that might need necessary adjustments. But you do not turn back and you do not quit. What you have to do is look and review and say, God, help me at the point that I'm at. And I do want to share a quick story about my daughter when she first got married. She's been married now 22 years, I think. Anyway, she's been married 22 years, but about three months after she had gotten married, we went to a church that we had to be at church Sunday through Friday, every night of the week. And Pastor Doug being the worship leader at this church, it was required of us to be at church every night of the week. And this went on for a full year. And Pastor Doug and I um, know it, we're getting ready for church, and Matt had dropped Stacy off. Matt had worked out at Lockheed and worked the, the night shift, so he would drop Stacy off. We would take her to church and drop her back off at home. And one particular night, she comes in, and she sits down on the sofa, and I could just tell by her demeanor. I said, is everything okay? And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I said, I don't, I don't think so. I said, you and mom are going to go out for dinner tonight, and we're not going to church? And I said, nope. I'm going to take you out for dinner. We need to talk. And, of course, my understanding husband took my son, and they went off to church, and I took her into a restaurant. We sit down, and we place the order, and right after the order was placed, I said, now you're going to tell mom what's going on. And my daughter, Sherry knows my daughter very well. It takes a lot for her to cry, right? She just broke down crying. And she was telling me all the pressures that she had in her life, being married, trying to keep up house, going to work, going to school to get her degree, and all these things that were just mounting on her. And I just sat there for a moment. I said, well, let's evaluate the whole thing. You can't give up on your marriage. You made a vow to God that you would love him. You love Matt, right? Yes, I don't want to give up on Matt. And I went through the things that made her a better helpmate to her husband. This will make you a better helpmate to your husband. You don't want to give up on that, do you? And ministry. God has called each one of us to ministry. We don't give up on ministry. I said, what is it that you can give up on? It, 
the only thing I can see at this point is your schooling. And she goes, oh, I can't give up on schooling. Dad will be really mad at me. And I said, your dad is not going to be mad at you. He, I, she says, yes, he told me not to give up on school. I said, no. Your dad said if you get married, because of the pressures of life, because of the wisdom that he had, he knew it would be unlikely that you would finish your schooling. But that's okay. It's not the end of the world. God's going to still use you. If you give yourself to ministry, you give yourself to your husband, you give yourself to being the helpmate that you're supposed to do, God will use you right where you're at. So don't worry about the schooling. And I'm not saying schooling and education is bad. I'm saying that was the only thing that we could see that she could give up. Well, two days later, she was completely pulled out of school. Um, and she was just so relieved. And you could just see a whole different outlook on her. And so I'm saying with this, we sometimes we have to go back and just evaluate. What are we doing that's costing us to be so weary? What are we doing that is... Uh, detrimental to our lives. Well, I thought, well, let's take a look at the state of ministry within the church. Doing ministry takes commitment, and commitment in the church has become a very dirty word. Commitment has been redefined by Satan, and he did not do this overnight. It has crept into the church, and even the most elect have been deceived. Um, does commitment sound to you like pressure, work, being used, unappreciated, that doesn't come from God. That comes from the enemy of our soul. Church, I'm here to witness, as a witness of Jesus Christ. Now is not the time to quit. Work has to be done. John 9, 4 says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. We are headed straight into some of the most exciting, yet some of the most challenging times the world has ever witnessed before. Times of crisis are coming, and we must be sure-footed with, to withstand the onslaught of the enemy. Whether we're ready or not, it's coming. I believe prodigals are coming home. We, the church must be ready for these prodigals. We must identify ourselves with God and line up with the Word of God, with the principles of His Word, not wrapped up in our own pleasures, not in our own ideas. We have to put one foot in front of the other. We cannot look back. Quitting cannot be an option. We must press on. Jesus is revealing himself to the church as never before. If you're not hearing the cry of God's heart, you must stop what you're doing and get before him. Cry out to a God that will answer your prayer while it is yet day. Because night is coming and there is no redos once night comes. If hunger is not there simply because your relationship with Christ has been insurance-based, ask God to help you change that, and he will. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Recognize that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power, all the power that you need. Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Like I said at the beginning of the sermon, your first and main priority is checking where you stand in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Once that relationship is in order, don't wait until you think you're a master at something to get involved in ministry. The enemy will always make you feel less than adequate. Life is a journey, and when you get to the end of it, will you have regrets that have eternal consequences? Will you have regrets for putting your energy, your time, your finances into the pleasures of this world versus 
things that are eternal? Trust me, if your priorities do not line up with the Word of God, when you see Jesus face to face, and I believe that's going to be very soon, you will have deep regrets. Christ does not want you to have those regrets. You can't do it all. I can't do it all. But we must do what counts, and we must come together as a church body to say, I'll do my part. I'll do my part. It's time to evaluate your priorities. Loving Jesus will be reflected in those priorities. Loving, loving what Jesus loves. I've asked Susan Ziesman to come and sing a song that I think describes a glimpse of what I've tried to convey this morning. I've tried to do it quickly because I know it's almost time we got to get those nursery people that are over there serving. We don't want to ever take advantage of that. We can spiritualize it and say, oh, let church go on and on and on. You go over and serve. And then let's sit. And then if you tell me, let church go on and on, we'll let it go on and on, okay? I just put that in there. All right. When we try to do things that don't have eternal value, it will take our eyes off of Christ and the truth of what he wants for us in our lives. And then we're going to make decisions based on regrets. The song is called Broken Ladders.
You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.